Hello guys and welcome to the 10th episode of Before the World Implodes. We've hit a milestone guys, we're here, we're at episode number 10. Do you want to hear about an embarrassing factoid that I was told in primary school, which I believed about the Beatles until I was 15, which led to a very embarrassing correction? Do you instead want to believe about how I stay stimulated and get my kicks as a sober vegan? Or, if none of those things, do you want to hear about how I'm going to be spending my January, Jack Free Jan, no Jezebel January? Or, if none of those things, would you like to hear about the similarity between David Bowie's death and David Bowie's birth or if you don't want to hear about any of those things would you like to hear about how glasses have impacted my daily life over the last week you would you say you would okie dokie then stick around for the rest of this episode hope you have a beautiful listening experience robin take it away and here we are i've just necked a shitload of water i've had two teas i've just had my square of dark chocolate to hype me up Yes, that is how sober vegans get their um, get their kicks. That's how I stay stimulated as a sober vegan. I eat lots of dark chocolate. I was reading the other day on um, I was I'm working on a film project, and in this film project, it features two men sat on a sofa having a conversation about all the complexities of modern life for young men, and they all they come at each subject and topic from completely polar opposite sides, have an argument exchange views, disagree on views, swap views. So I was trying to get a fair view of like the arguments for veganism, the arguments against veganism, and I've read somewhere, I don't know if it's true or not, that dark chocolate, red wine, and coffee are all essential to keeping a healthy vegan diet. And I've been trying to drink less wine lately, but all three of these things, tick, tick, tick. I've been a little iffy with coffee lately, but dark chocolate, red wine, and coffee... I think I was born to be a vegan, to be honest with you, because these are all things I would prefer to spliffs, coke, ketamine, whatever. Those three things are my, they're my drugs, to be honest with you. Sounds like a fucking square thing to say, but it's the truth. I tried ketamine for about two weeks, loved it, then absolutely hated it, spent a week in bed. Not my cup of tea whatsoever, but anyway, let's get into it. So we're about two weeks, a week and a half into the new year, and I am imagining that right now, most people listening to this who made New Year's resolutions are slowly starting to realise that they were mistakes. And that's fine because, to be honest, I believe in regard to New Year's resolutions that if you notice an inherent flaw in your character or something intrinsic in yourself that is at fault that you need to fix and you wait until a specific date to fix it, then you're a bit of an idiot and you don't actually want to fix anything. That's just my opinion. You might think that sounds a bit Tory. You might think that sounds a bit unforgiving and brutal. But it is the truth. And I know this because New Year this year started on a Friday. New Year this year started on a Saturday. And it's telling of the mindset of people who are making New Year's resolutions because most people who decided to have a diet for their New Year's resolution... So many of them on Instagram were like, oh, I'm just going to wait until Monday. No. If you're starting a New Year's resolution and you're already pushing it back to Monday, something's going wrong and you don't really want to stick to this New Year's resolution, don't pretend. You're here once. Do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. Die how you want to die. That's my philosophy on it anyway. That being said, I know in the first episode I did of the New Year last Sunday, I said that I wasn't making any New Year's resolutions and I wasn't, but I have felt the need to create one. Only because it's the new year. If it wasn't the new year, I would just make a resolution for myself in general. But because we're nine days into the new year, this is, I'm going to say, my first new year's resolution. And it is to get better 
at text messages, to get better at replying to messages, replying to emails, whatever, because I'm so shit at it. And I've realised this because I do a lot of shit in my spare time. I try to organise photo shoots, try to get people to film, I try to record podcasts for people, etc, etc, etc. And to actually be efficient in doing that, you need to text people back regularly and at a fair speed. I'm not good at that. Like, I'm not good at it. As soon as I get more than two DMs a day, I'm, like, into overdrive and people are getting pushed back a week. And that's a sign of bad character. That's a flaw that I need to fix. And I'm working on it. But do you know what? It's difficult because I've always struggled with it. Um, I always don't don't remember how much time has passed in between replying to a message and not replying to a message. And it just makes me stressed once it builds up. You know what I mean? So right now... January 2021, I'm trying to reply to messages as soon as possible. As soon as I get a message, bam, reply to it. It's not building up. It's not falling behind any other messages. And that's how it's going. I don't know how everyone else is finding um, New Year's resolutions. I'm assuming most of you haven't made any that you really want to stick to because nobody does. Um, Another, I guess, New Year's resolution, but not really a New Year's resolution. I've cut down on masturbation I don't know why I think I just got to the point where I felt like masturbation is just a bit of a gimpy thing to do no disrespect to gimps but I just feel like it's kind of a weird thing to do like to accept the idea that sex is this like thing that you need to watch on the internet and that you need to stimulate if you don't have someone around you to have sex with which I think is a little bit like I think it's a little bit mental and I don't agree with the whole culture around masturbation in the modern age like the porn industry like, not only just, like, the complete sexism of it and, like, the horrendous view of women in porn, but also just the idea that it sends to both young women and young men and even middle-aged women and middle-aged men. All people of all genders and identities, whatever, are affected by porn and the porn industry. And I don't agree with it, to be honest. I find it a little bit... I find it a little bit barbaric. And also, I don't know the health benefits of it, but I saw a video on YouTube earlier, just scrolling through YouTube, and I saw a video that said, um, semen retention has saved my life. Now, I don't know whether that is a real thing or not. It seemed a little bit, like, clickbaity, um, kind of like you could guess what kind of crowd were watching it, but it might be a real thing, and I might look into it and then let you guys know on the next episode of the pod, but if any of you know anything about that... Why don't you drop me a message? Also, New Year's resolutions. If any of you have actually made interesting, good New Year's resolutions, power to you, and I would love to hear them. I'm going to make like a an option on this podcast for people to send in voice messages that we can listen to on the episode. So I'm going to make that an option and put the link on my Instagram and on my Facebook. So if anyone wants to send in any anonymous voice messages or whatever, feel free. I don't know how many people are listening to this. I think we've got an average viewing of like, we have views going up and down but we have an audience of eight which means that like every episode is getting the same eight people which i am pretty pleased with so far like we're about i'd say since i started redoing it we're about three four months in and it's going pretty well like i'm pretty proud of it so far um but yeah as i said i'm not watching much porn which means i've had to substitute for porn now how do you substitute for watching films with men fucking in it i'll tell you how you just watch other films with men fucking in it that are not explicitly porn so there is a very troubling film called mysterious skin that i saw a couple years back now i've got a poster of it on my wall because it was such a moving film it's one of my favorite films of all time and it's a really troubling film um about like sexual abuse and and the like lifelong effect of it and how it shapes a human being who is sexually abused at a young age and um 
it's a really hard film to watch and yeah it's a really but it's a really good film you know it's one of those pieces of art that are really difficult to view and really difficult to dive into but once you watch it it changes how you view things and i think that's you know that's what art is that's what art should be something to change how you perceive things something to help you understand an experience that you don't have complete um that you don't have a complete self experience with anyway um and I recommended this film to somebody and they have since seen this film over the Christmas holiday and then watched a load of this guy's films. Now, this guy, Greg Arakari, Greg Arakari is a genius. He is possibly the pinhead figure of LGBT queer cinema, particularly in the 90s. Uh, Mysterious Skin is a 2004 film, so this is like after most of his biggest stuff, and this is the only film I'd seen of him up until last week. Now, I've been feeling the need to just watch films with gay sex in them, and thankfully, Greg Arachery, the guy who made this film, has made a ton of steamy gay films. One I will recommend to everybody right now is called, I believe it's called The Disappearing Line. I think it's called The Disappearing Line, and it's about a gay man who's maybe 24 he's a journalist he's got an incredible taste in music i'm talking like echo and the Bunnymen, um jesus and mary chain pulp all of that kind of shit brilliant taste in music he's a journalist his room is, is his house is covered in like smith's posters and warhol posters is pretty sick very cool outfits in in this film and anyway this guy finds out that he's got aids right and he's driving home from work one day and he sees another young gay guy who's like, um, what do you call it when you stick your arm out on the road to signal down a car? Oh, what do you call it? Bloody, um, you guys know the shit I'm talking about. So this guy, he sees a guy with his arm out on the street, young, attractive, probably a similar age to him, like early 20s, and he gets him in his car. The guy's like, so where can I drop you off? And it turns out this guy's nowhere to be dropped off. So he stays with him for the night and he lets him stay for one night. And it gets steamy. And I think they have sex, but you don't actually see them have sex. But you see them kiss. And it was hot. And um, it was very mentally stimulating. And it sort of made me more okay with not, um, not masturbating. Being able to see this in a film. And not feel guilty about it. Because fuck, it's art, right? It's an artistic film. Anyway, the film is fucking brilliant. And there's loads of, loads of brilliant shots in it. It's a great script, and the direction of it is absolutely fantastic. So anybody who needs any films to watch lately, Greg Arachery. If anyone, any of the people listening to this have me on social media that would like to see any Greg Arachery films, just give me a text because I've downloaded all of them and I'll send you some links because, damn, they're good. I watched one, I watched one yesterday with my mother, and it's called The Doom Generation. It's got Rose McGowan in. Now, Rose McGowan is a brilliant actress. She's been in tons of cool shit. Um, notably Planet Terror, which I saw with my friend the other day, who I won't name because it's an embarrassing story what happened with my friend. Me and my friend are watching this film, Planet Terror, with Rose McGowan, which is directed by, oh, I forget his name, but he's the guy who, who was one of the two who did um, Sin City. Anyway, we're watching this film, me and my friend, watching this film with um, Rose McGowan called Planet Terror, in which her leg gets bitten by a zombie and cut off so she gets a literal submachine gun planted in her leg and uses it to kill zombies it's fucking crazy um i was halfway through watching this film with my friend 
when he went to fart and shit himself on my sofa. So I haven't finished that film. So watching this new Rose McGowan film with, um, I can't remember who else is in it actually, but directed by Gregor Ackery, I was determined to finish it, but I watched it with my mum. Now, I didn't think this would be as maybe um, homoerotic as his other films because at the start of this film, there is a title card that says a heterosexual film by Gregor Ackery. And I thought, great, a film I can watch with my mother on a Saturday. So I'm sitting down watching it with her and it just starts to get brutal and brutal and brutal. But there is a looming sense of homoeroticism throughout the whole thing. But no, no men really have any sex. There's not really any gay stuff in it. It's just always hinted at. Kind of like in, um, like in Gus Van Sant's films, there are always like, even when they're not gay, there's always a little bit of gay stuff going on behind the curtain, which I love. Um, I wouldn't recommend watching The Doom Generation with your mother because the final scene is so damn graphic that I just wish I hadn't seen it. And there are two versions of it, right? There's a cut version and an uncut version. Now, the uncut version was much lower quality than the cut version, but it was 11 minutes longer. And I didn't want to miss out on a whole 11 minutes that wasn't meant to be cut from the film. So I watched the poorer quality and honest to God, I wish I'd have cut out that 11 minutes because it was graphic as hell. So if you want to watch these films, guys, be aware, there are mature themes and they might scare the absolute fuck out of you. If any of you what listening to this podcast have seen The Doom Generation, please let me know what you think of it. Please let me know if I'm just becoming a prude in thinking that it was absolutely mental, because maybe I am. I don't know. But yeah, I'm planning on watching way more Greg Racky films over the rest of the week. And another brilliant, not film, but actually, yeah, I'm going to say film because if you've got three episodes or something that are two and a half hours long, you've basically got a Star Wars trilogy on your hands. I'm talking, of course, about the Beatles documentary that was released on Disney Plus in, I think, November, and it's taken me this long to actually get on it. I'd watched one episode or maybe half of an episode when I was feeling really ill in November, maybe just after I had COVID or when I had COVID. Anyway, wow, 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 wow. This was incredible. Like, seeing the Beatles in this quality discussing music, jamming together, how all of these songs came from just being little riffs and like four lyrics to fucking platinum tunes that everybody is aware of is incredible. And not only that, you see like little insights into how the band is splitting up and you sort of, there's a there's a brilliant bit where Ringo is telling John that he wants to go off and do his own solo album and sort of is trying to show John that not only does he want to do a solo album, but he wants them all to do solo albums and kind of wants them to break up. And it was just... It was like being just sat in a history lesson that was actually interesting. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was fucking incredible. And um, power to the guy. I think his name's Peter Jackson, who did Lord of the Rings and uh, and the Hobbit films. Haven't actually seen any of those, but I know people give them people give them credit. So power to him because he's fucking sat through like sixty hours of footage and just merged it down to eight incredible hours of footage like you would think oh it's two and a half hours per episode you don't want to watch that shit but no you really do because it's really insightful and it's even just like i could sit in on a jam session with anybody for hours and hours and hours but the beatles the beatles like you just put that on in the background while you're strumming a guitar and you feel like the fifth beetle honest to god also not being a narcissist but seeing some of the outfits that these guys were wearing i am so convinced that if i were born in the 50s late 40s whatever 
I would have been a Beatle. I just know that I would have. I had the charisma. I had the, maybe not the musical talent. I'm okay at guitar, but I've got a lovely little vocal on me. Voice box. Got some lovely vocals on me. And I feel like when I grow my hair out, I kind of look like a Beatle. Um, my brother was saying that one of one of his friends used to say that he looks like Ringo Starr. And he had no idea who Ringo Starr was. I found that quite funny. And I think he took he took a lot of offence to that. But I think I, I kind of look like both John Lennon, um, George Harrison and Ringo Starr. But not Paul McCartney. I think Paul McCartney looks a lot like my grandmother, to be honest. He's got a very grandmother-esque face now. Not in this documentary. He's got a big beard. And he's a little bit sexy, actually. But... Right now, Paul McCartney looks very much like an old lady, and he has done for about 40 years, I'd say. Which is fine, Paul McCartney. You know, you do what you want to do, buddy, but... You've lost the sex appeal, in my humble opinion. I sort of have to say that, because I just said that you look like my grandmother. So if I said that you did still have sex appeal, well, something would be wrong with me, Paul McCartney. So please don't take offence to that if you ever decide to listen to my podcast. Um, But yeah, in in this documentary, the episode that I watched, the final episode, they show... The Rooftop Concert. Now, The Rooftop Concert has my favourite ever version of a Beatles song, which is them performing Don't Let Me Down on the top of the roof. Now, I think there are very few recordings of this song because it was intended to be on Let It Be, but they couldn't find any good enough recording that they did in the studio to put on the album. And I think it came out on one of the anthologies or the bootleg series, Um, but it's been re-released on the Let It Be Deluxe version that came out of a few months ago, alongside this documentary. Now, it is such a brilliant tune. And just seeing the public interact with it and how they put that concert together, it's so cool. And it's such like a brilliant way to sort of officialize like the shady breakup of the Beatles. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Anyone with anyone who's got access to the internet, just stream it somehow, whether on Disney Plus or whether on one, two, three movies, just find a link to it and watch it because honestly if you play an instrument, just play your instrument alongside watching it and you'll feel like you're in a jam sesh with the bloody Beatles. It's legendary. On the subject of music, yesterday was the heavenly birthday of none other than David motherfucking Bowie. Can we get a minute silence for the brother in here, please? Thank you very much. I think that means tomorrow is the... 2016 is the sixth anniversary of his death. Fucked up. RIP to my guy. Um, he died two days after his birthday, if I'm not mistaken. So tomorrow will be the anniversary of his death. And if anybody sees me, I will be wearing all black. Oh, 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 quick, good opportunity to segue. Tomorrow may be the the anniversary of David Bowie's death, but it is also going to be the anniversary of a rise in my career because I have a stand-up gig tomorrow, Monday the 10th of January 2021. I have a stand-up gig in Falmouth, in the Toast of Falmouth, which is a pub in Falmouth, on Church Street in Falmouth. Doors open at 8 o'clock, gig starts around half 8. I don't know exactly when I'll be on, but I wouldn't recommend missing it because it's going to be absolutely wild. I Two comedians who I know that are going are fucking funny, and it's, it is a new material night, so, you know, don't be expecting fireworks and really rehearsed, sharpened material, but I'm really looking forward to it. Since my first stand-up gig, as I said on the other episodes of the pod, I've just really wanted to get out there and do some more, which I'm going to be doing, and I'm really looking forward to it. So if anyone wants to come along to the Toast of Falmouth in Falmouth on Church Street, which is in Falmouth, um, feel free. I think it's free entry. It's just a normal pub, free entry, 
pop down. I don't know when the tra- how late the trains are running, so you might have to bloody camp after the show. But do you know what? It'll be worth it because I'll tickle you so much you'll be warm all night. Um, back to the topic of David Bowie. His 75th birthday yesterday. Obviously, I had to commemorate it, so I listened to the Berlin Trilogy. Now, for anyone who doesn't know about the Berlin Trilogy, it's the three albums that Bowie made while in Berlin. So it starts with, um, what do you call it? Low, which has an orange backdrop on the album cover, which is taken from his hit film, The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is based on the book by Walter Trevis. Brilliant book. Not so brilliant film, to be honest. I thought it was okay. David Bowie looked absolutely gorgeous in the whole thing. But I just don't think it was a brilliant film. Um, so that's the first album in the Berlin Trilogy, Low. It's got the one of the biggest tunes of all time, Sound and Vision, one of my favourite tunes. I'm gonna, I might use that as a tune to fade out in this episode. If I make this episode Spotify exclusive, I'm going to add a song on the end and it'll be David Bowie's Sound and Vision. That's what's going to happen because this episode is coming out in the literal midpoint of the anniversary of his birth and the anniversary of his descent, his entrance to the world and his dissension from the world. God, I need to put a David Bowie song at the end of this episode. It's going to happen. Um, the second album, of course, is Heroes. Everybody knows Heroes. You've all seen Perks of Being a Wallflower. You've all heard the tune down a shitty karaoke night one evening. Brilliant album, brilliant album. Shot by an incredible photographer. I can't remember his name now, but there are so many brilliant snapshots that could have made it to that album cover from that photo shoot. And it, oh man, I love them so much. The third album in the Berlin trilogy, because it is a trilogy, all made in Berlin. The third album that was made in Berlin featuring on the David Bowie Berlin trilogy is Lodger. Now that album is an incredible mix of just weird, odd, tunes by david bowie some of them are good some of them are bad some of them are live some of them are well edited in the studio some of them sound literally like you're just seeing them on a broadway stage and they're all so good and somehow they all fit together in an album the cover's really cool it kind of looks like he's flying through some weird creamy backdrop um one of my favorite new newly found david bowie albums in the sense of i've only recently heard it I think I listened to it about three or four months ago. It was the last of the Berlin trilogy for me to visit. And fucking Christ, such a good album. I mean, he really did just do no wrong in the 70s, like, at all. All of the records he touched just became gold. I mean, even while in Berlin, produced Iggy Pop's Lust for Life, produced Lou Reed's Transformer. Like, this guy did not miss. Now, David Bowie is, for certain, one of the well-sung heroes of music. However... I want to talk to you guys about some of the unsung heroes of music. John Cale. Now, John Cale is one of my favourite musicians of all time. I've been listening to him for not that long now, actually, because I've obviously listened to him in the Velvet Underground. He was a guitarist and producer in the Velvet Underground. And he's got a brilliant solo album called Fear, and he also produced Patti Smith's Horses, which, as anyone who knows me knows is possibly my favourite album of all time. He's been working behind the scenes on so many of these brilliant albums, and he's also got an insane debut called Fear. Maybe not a debut. It might be his debut, actually, debut solo album. Anyway, Fear by John Cale is a brilliant album, and I first heard it when I was on my way to a photo shoot with these two mates of mine in a brilliant band called Mango Jam, if you want to check them out. And we were driving to do a photo shoot in this big green area in Exeter, and Christ, man... 
it was such a good little car journey with this song playing fear is a man's best friend and barracuda barracuda by john cale now that is a fucking brilliant tune such a good tune one of the best songs i've ever heard barracuda by john cale if you guys want to check that one out i'll leave a link to all of these songs that i talk about in in the description of the podcast episode um so john cale is an unsung hero of rock music and avant-garde music in general i would say alongside john cale brian eno who produced the entire berlin trilogy who produced fear by john cale who produced so many other records that you couldn't name them all alongside a shit ton of solo stuff that's incredible brian eno is a brilliant multi-instrumentalist producer visionary and yeah for anyone who hasn't listened to any of his stuff and you want something to listen to maybe in the background of doing work or something to just zone out to Brian Eno is the guy to go to because you can get lost in the worlds of his albums there's so much detail in there and he really did just push himself beyond the limits I say push himself I think he's still making music he's definitely still alive uh read an article that he did recently about David Bowie which was really cool um so yeah, these guys. Also, Fred Sonic Smith. Fred Sonic Smith is the late husband of Patti Smith, who was in the early days punk rock band MC5. I think it's MC5, who did Kick Out the Jam, which was a live album, and is credited by many as the first punk rock album of all time. He also, I only found this out today while looking for a John Cale album on eBay, he was the guitarist on John Cale's Fear which is just fucking incredible in itself. And it's so cool how all of these people sort of feed back into each other in weird ways. Makes me just love the New York music scene even more back then. Makes me wish I was a part of such a scene. I'm not, but, well, not yet. It is what it is. It is what it is. Maybe I'll get there one day. So, what else has been going on? Um, I've been working on a film, as I've already said. Um, And because the film is based on just two people sitting down and having a conversation... I need people to just sit and have conversations with that I can just record. They won't go anywhere. I won't post them anywhere. I won't clip them anywhere. I just need people to sit down with me and have a conversation so that when I am writing the script of these two guys having a chat, I have some realistic like realistic conversations to put in there because they're based on certain topics and I need people to just sit down with me and discuss these topics completely freely of judgment. I don't care what you think about climate change or LGBT or um, vaccines, whatever. Let's just have a conversation. Anyone who's up for that, let me know because it would be really brilliant to be able to like show in my research that I've actually had these conversations that these people are having so that I can make a really realistic dialogue for them. That would be really fun for me. Um, but yeah, let me know if you guys... um. Let me know if anyone listening wants to do that. Um, God, I just remembered. Um, oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. We've touched on that. We've touched on that. So, I don't know if I've told you people yet, but there's a very funny story about the Beatles that touches directly into my life. Now, I may have already mentioned this on the podcast, but fuck it, I'm going to tell it again. So, watching this Beatles documentary has brought up some trauma for me. Get ready, ladies. Strap yourselves in. This trauma that watching the Beatles documentary brought up for me is when I was young, maybe maybe 10, 11. I was in primary school, right? And um, a teacher told me one day in a 
maybe a history lesson or an English lesson. You know, in primary school, all of the lessons are like mixed together. Anyway, I was without a doubt told by a teacher that in 1945, the Beatles came to Plymouth. Not 1945. I was told by a teacher. Let's get this clear so there's no, no room for me to accidentally slag off a teacher that's not in the wrong. Because trust me, they're in the wrong. Um, I was told by a teacher that the Beatles came to Plymouth in the early in the early 1940s and during the war and did a performance in real cinema and then had to hide in the basement of real cinema during the Blitz. What the fuck? I believed that for so long until I was like 14, 15 and said that to someone. I had never, it had never clicked in my mind. Dude, the Beatles were like two in 1945. That had never even occurred to me. One of those truths that you get told as a kid and you just believe, right? Kind of like like racism and homophobia. You get taught it and you, you fuck with it, right? That's what my misinformation about the Beatles was like. I believed it until I said it to someone like when I was 15, 14. And they were like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Like the Beatles were not in Plymouth in the war. They were like two years old. I was like, fuck, shit. But I'm sure that a teacher told me that the Beatles came to Plymouth in 1940 and had to hide in real cinema during the Blitz. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what real cinema is, it was a fucking brilliant, tiny little cinema in Plymouth, really small, and I remember all of my friends in primary school believed that the third screen, which was the smallest screen in the cinema, was haunted. Whether it was or not remains to be seen because the place is now locked up. It's been shut down because of the money-hungry bastards of the cinema industry. <laughs> Cineworld. <laughs> View cinema. You bastards. You took away a childhood memory for me. And that is going to real cinema on the weekends. Because it was cheap and it was affordable. And now, since real cinema have shut down, these corporate bastards at View Cinema have had to lower their prices. Well, guess what? It serves you bloody right because you shut down real cinema and it was a brilliant cinema. I know anyone from Plymouth who's listening to this is going to be in arms with me and agreeing because real cinema was a really brilliant place um what else has been going on for me i've had glasses now for about hmm a week i've had them oh that's funny because yes i didn't have glasses in the last podcast episode i needed glasses but i hadn't picked them up yet i picked them up very recently um maybe about a week ago maybe just less and Jesus Christ, like these glasses have really improved my vision. I wasn't really aware of how bad my vision was until I actually got these glasses and started wearing them regularly. My vision is kind of clapped. I'm not going to lie to you. My vision is it's not 2020. It's maybe like um, 2021, bit of a poor time, you know, like my glasses have really fixed my vision. Um, and I know this because I'll look at the wall, like the posters that I've got on my wall and try and read like the small prints of the posters or like the subtitles of the posters from my bed and I won't be able to read them and then when I put my glasses on I can even I went for a romantic walk with my boyfriend while I was walking him to the train station the other day and looked at the moon right and he said can you see the rest of the moon it was sort of you could see like maybe a third of the moon you know and it looks really cool and like pointed on the bottoms and it's curved because it's like you can only see a really small amount of the moon and he was like oh can you see like the rest of it really dark, like the dark circle around it. And I couldn't until I put my glasses on and then I could actually see the rest of the moon. And it's like, shit, how long have I been deprived of that view of the moon? Probably for fucking ages. So yeah, I'm so glad I got these glasses on. However, they are so distracting for me because I'm not gonna self-diagnose myself with ADHD here, but I'm a very easily distractible person. When I'm trying to focus and be productive on things, 
My, my mind just strays. It strays and it looks at posters and it looks at books and it looks, listens to songs inside my own brain. And I find it difficult to focus on things at certain times. Obviously, I've gotten a lot done so far in this 19 years of life, but I'm a procrastinator and I'm definitely easily distracted. These glasses do not help because I need to wear these glasses when I'm writing and when I'm reading and anything that involves text or good sight, really, because it improves my vision so much and it makes me more efficient. But if I've got my glasses on and I'm looking around the room, even for a split second, I'll be trying to do some work and I'll look up, see a Rolling Stones poster and I'm like, shit. Was Mick Jagger always that sexy? Or is it just the glasses? Spoiler alert, it's not just the glasses. Mick Jagger has always been a very sexy man, but these glasses making him more attractive do not do me any favors whatsoever. Like absolutely none. Um, so I don't know if the pros outweigh the cons with them. I'm sure realistically they do, they do outweigh them, but I'm just not 100% sure to be honest. Um. What else has been going on? I think this is the 10th episode of the podcast, so can we all get a round of applause for me for that? Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, you can um, you can send money into my cash app. It's uh, point fucking boy, 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 boy. I'm, I'm joking, of course. I would never accept cash app for this podcast. However, if anyone wants to advertise on this podcast and pay me for that, feel bloody free, because I haven't been contacted by any ads yet, which is weird. I've got a whole eight audience. Why would you not want to advertise with me, Gucci? Come on now. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm, a bit of, I'm being a bit of a fucking moron. I've had too much ca- caffeine today, right? Because two teas for me is a lot. Because I have stopped drinking tea and coffee for a good, like, three, four weeks now. Now that I'm back on tea, which is a s- stepping stone to getting back on coffee, I'm feeling a bit odd and definitely more stressed. Definitely more excitable, definitely more distractible. So I imagine this podcast has been a little bit of a ramble, but I'm just trying to keep people updated on the ways of the world, on the things that are going on as we speak. Um, so music recommendations for this week. I have very recently gotten into a saxophonist, and I'm going to butcher his name, so let me quickly get it up. Not like that. I'm researching the name of a person, you bloody filthy-minded bastards. And this saxophonist, which is a person who plays the saxophone, and apparently it's not pronounced saxophonist, which is just odd and I think dyslexic-phobic, to be honest, making words that bloody complicated. Um, This guy, his name is Karu Abe. I might not be saying that right. Karu Abe, maybe? And from listening to him, oh god, by the way, his music is so brilliant. There's such desperation to his playing. And just his solo playing is incredible. There are videos of it on YouTube. He's not on Spotify. I will link a video of his of his song of one of his albums in the description of this podcast because it's really brilliant. And the way he plays the saxophone is so desperate that at times it almost sounds like a violin. Like it's so detailed and complex the way this guy plays. And He's self-taught. He's self-taught from a young age. He died at the age of 29 of an overdose, I think in the 70s, I think in 78, from what I've vaguely researched about him. So, like, this guy was an incredibly talented guy. And to have the mind of, of being able to self-teach yourself an instrument like that, I know a few people who were, like, taught, self-taught in piano and guitar, and it's always so inspiring to see people doing that. I mean, I myself am self-taught in guitar, but not to a really, like, intense degree, not classical guitar, just, you know, rock and roll, man. But people who are really self-taught 
in these instruments like that are fucking incredible. And you know this guy was good because he played with like some incredible, incredible people. Like he played with, um, oh, what's his face? The drummer, Milford Graves. He played with Milford Graves. Now that drummer is fucking intense. He's a really brilliant drummer, self-taught cardiologist. Now that's the thing, right? I think if you can self-teach yourself an instrument, you can pretty much self-teach yourself anything. Like if you really have the drive to, you could self-teach yourself cardiology as this guy has done this guy is a self-taught cardiologist which has really inspired me right now to look into getting books on cardiology because the heartbeat has always fascinated me myself i've always worried about my heartbeat and i've always worried wow what if my heartbeat goes wrong and ever since like reading stories as a kid of people who would randomly collapse in the street of sudden death syndrome i've always been like oh shit what if that happens to me you know what if i suddenly drop dead and this guy Milford Graves, the drummer, has a really interesting theory on like the building blocks of music and he's famous for having a quote in which he says something along the lines of music is just an expression of the rhythm of self, one of many expressions of the rhythm of self, which I think is so beautiful and he believes that the cardio, the heartbeat is the first ever thing to make noise and to make like connection between people and apparently According to this guy, he's written books on the stuff and everything. He says that the heartbeat predates human speech. That's pretty fucking incredible if you ask me. Well, I mean, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Because if you went even to a biblical standpoint of like Adam and Eve, if they were babies, they had to heart, their hearts had to beat before they could speak. Let me get this guy up. Right. Milford Graves and the universal heartbeat. Now, 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 where are we? Um... Jazz drummer, martial artist, radical botanist, guy who likes plants for anyone who's uncultured, educator and groundbreaking self-taught cardiologist Milford Graves dedicated his life to these origins of rhythm and pulse. Wow. This guy is sending me on an absolute rabbit hole, but I can't complain. The point that I was making was, if you can self-teach yourself an instrument, your brain is pretty fucking powerful and you can teach yourself anything. It's really inspiring. Now, I want to give a shout out to an old teacher of mine called Dave Strudwick. During the first lockdown, Dave Strudwick encouraged me to learn a language. He said it would be very beneficial for my brain. I ignored him. However, a few months later, I did decide to start learning French. And from that, I started to learn German. And learning German was a very big turning point for me because I haven't learned it very well. I'm not very fluent in it, but it taught me how to teach myself things. And from that, I started really picking up my guitar and getting much better at it. And I think it's really given me a like, work ethic and just a way to make sense of boringness and to fill the days, which is so, like, people don't ever focus enough right now on just filling the days. Like, that is an achievement. To be able to fill a day is an achievement. Whether or not you're gonna become a genius from it, whether or not you're gonna become mad successful and rich from it is one thing, but just filling the days should be an accomplishment in the modern age with all of the shit going on. And I think teaching yourself an instrument is exactly the same as teaching yourself a language or teaching yourself a hobby or teaching yourself how to swim. These are all languages of the world. And I've always believed that. So seeing this guy, Milford Graves, talk about it, it's pretty fucking cool. Like I've always thought that, or at least since I started playing this instrument and learning German, I really realized that like some people can just speak the language of the world better than others. Like I, I'm dyspraxic, right? I'm really bad with my hands. And I feel like I really can't speak the language of the universe like other people can. Um, like chefs, for example, 
a good friend of mine, Miles Jackson, I made I made dinner with him the other day because I've just got this vegan roastology cookbook, which is all about like roast vegetables. And I was, we were chopping up some vegetables, and this guy is just fucking dicing onions and garlic and fucking peppers up like mad, like absolutely insane precision. And I was just so envious of it because I could never do anything like that. But I can play guitar okay. I'm I'm okay at German. And I think these are all like the separate languages of the universe that we all speak in different ways. And I think, you know, like cooking is a fundamental thing that anyone can do regardless of language. You just show someone how to chop a pepper, someone can chop a pepper. You pick up an instrument and anyone of any language can play with you as long as they know an instrument. You don't need to be able to speak to each other. That's why I think it's so important to learn a language as the great teacher Dave Strudwick once told me. It's brilliant to learn a language, people, whether that's a, a dialect-based language, whether that's a music-based language, whether that is a craft-based language. I think my um, advice for anyone listening to this podcast today is just learn a language. I know that was a bit of a tangent, but I think it's just reminded me of something I was thinking about for a while, and it's really good to get it out there. Like, Learn a language, guys, because the world is just a fucking big speech bubble, and you need to understand it to the best you can as far as I'm concerned. Let's get back to uh, Milford Graves. So, the exact a quote that I really was inspired by looking at today, he says, My research originates from a belief that music is a universal language and a curiosity to define the primary building blocks of that language. Cool. Graves explained in the notes to his recent ICA Philadelphia exhi- exhibition, A Mind-Body Deal, echoing the idea that rhythmic sounding is thought to have predated verbal communication that is fucking cool so even not even just the heartbeat but like before people started verbally communicating maybe like like a knock on the door you know like so maybe like if you wanted to say hi how's it going to your friend when we were cavemen you'd like pick up two rocks and be like and if you wanted to say piss off to your caveman neighbor you'd pick up two rocks and be like which is kind of interesting and Something that that's just made me think of right now, like the idea of um, the idea of rhythmic sounding predating verbal communication, is like how you know who's knocking on your door at certain times. You know what I mean? Like the way one person knocks on your door and you can just say, "Oh yeah, that's Dad at the door," or "Oh yeah, that's Dylan, the bloody spliff head at the door," just based on the knock. You know what I mean? And it's the same as like you can tell who's walking up the stairs in your house. Like, oh, that's your mum walking up the stairs. That's your brother. That's your girlfriend walking up the stairs. That's, I think maybe if this is the case, that like the way someone walks up the stairs or the way someone knocks on the door could just be like our instinct to make a recognizable like sound that means something in a language, which is pretty fucking cool as far as I'm concerned. Like it sends a signal to your brain hearing someone knock on a door or hearing someone walk up the stairs. Maybe that's nothing. Maybe it's something. I'm not a bloody doctor, guys. I'm just giving you some information and you can decipher it however you wish. Back to the quote, thought to have predated verbal communication. You can look at any culture's approach to music and find commonalities. Exploring these universals led me to what I believe is a, is the common denominator, the human heartbeat. That's pretty fucking cool. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, In reference to the human heartbeat, all I will say, guys, if you want to protect your human heartbeat, try a fucking vegan diet because I've felt so much more comfortable cardio-wise since I've been a vegan over these last two years. Like, I haven't been for a run lately since I had COVID, but 
before I had COVID, I was going for runs pretty much every day. And being vegan really improved my cardio, like to an insane degree. Um, you know, it's proven to give you reduced rates of cardiac episodes, of cardiac illness. It massively reduces cholesterol. Good example of this, Kevin Smith, revolutionary filmmaker of low budgets. He did Clerks, he did More Rats, he did Clerks 2, he did Jay and Bob Strike Back, he did Dogma, wrote and directed a lot of them, and he had a heart attack in, I think, 2016. And this was like, you know, when all of the celebrities were being picked off in 2016. You had Bowie, you had Prince, you had the guy from Harry Potter, everyone was just dropping like flies. You had the woman from Star Wars, what's her name? Princess Leia, bloody uh, Margaret something or other. People were dying. He stuck it out. He had a widow make a heart attack, which is 80% of people who have that heart attack fucking dead straight away um so he had this heart attack he survived it straight away he went vegan and his doctor said to him about a year later that if he didn't know this guy had already had a heart attack looking at his scans he wouldn't have believed there was anything wrong with him and that's from going vegan obviously that's an anecdotal case but people i would say try a vegan diet if you're worried about your health and if you want to preserve the longevity of your human heartbeat because I mean, it's the fundamental thing that makes us all the same, isn't it? It's the one thing that keeps you thriving is your heartbeat. The human heart is a fucking insane thing. Like, you can't really explain it. That's the fascinating thing about the human heart, right? You can't explain it. Like, if you look at footballers, right? I know in, uh, in the summer, was it the Euro football competition that a footballer dropped dead? Well, not dropped dead, sorry. A footballer dropped on the pitch because he just had a heart attack. Now, these footballers, this footballer played for Tottenham a year, a year previously, right? So... When you're playing football at that level, you get put through all of these insane cardio checks to make sure your heart is okay. But still, it can just go wrong. There can be one fault in it that people just don't detect. You know, like 50-year-old men go for bike rides and just collapse because they've got a missing heart valve that they never knew about. It's pretty insane that that kind of thing can happen. And it's all just the complexities of the human heart. So, yeah, I mean, I'm inspired by reading this guy's brief article to go and dive into looking at cardiology. So if anyone else is interested in it, or anyone who's read anything on cardiology that wants to send a book my way, send a recommendation my way, go for it, because I'd be very interested in that. Um, but yeah, I'll leave you with that. The common denominator of all languages is the human heartbeat. This has been a very brilliant podcast, as far as I'm concerned. I've gotten a lot out. I'm very thankful for those two cups of tea, because I've been able to just ramble like I normally would. I am Blasting for a piss, so I'm gonna go and have one very soon. But music recommendations for today: Miles Gra Milford Graves, anything by Milford Graves, anything by David Bowie, anything by John Cale. Um, guys, watch films by Gregor Aki. I would recommend straight off the bat: Nowhere, Mysterious Skin, and The Disappearing Line. I've been Robin Marshall. This has been Before the World Implodes, episode 10. People, it's been lush. It's been a ride. Peace out.